Welcome back to the Botanical Creative. And I'm joined by Bonnie Murray. Hello. Hey. <laughs> and myself. Uh, unfortunately, again, we're not in the same room. Still stuck in lockdown. So separated. She, so yeah, Ali Jane just went a bit robotic then. Um, we're separated. Correct. <laughs> not permanently. No. <laughs> No, no, there's still still lockdown, but Ellie Jane is in regional Victoria, so she's as free as bird, but I'm locked in the cage right now. <laughs> I'm I'm in <laughs> metropolitan Melbourne. Way, so. Not literally. <laughs> yeah. Um so I'm still within the lockdown area, so I can't go see Ellie Jane. So unfortunately it's over the webs again, but maybe next week. <laughs> Fingers crossed. <laughs> and yes. how did you Here's go hope. in your um art show? Um, yeah, it was a good little art show. So as I mentioned last time, it was my first time. I didn't, unfortunately, win any prizes <laughs> or sell any artworks. How, how dare they not realise your talent? <laughs> uh, how dare they not realise your talent? <laughs> Don't worry. Nah, it's always good to be part of yeah. art shows, you know, the local ones. Because mm. um, you're not only showing your art, but you're also supporting the local community as well. Yeah, and it was... It was a pretty hard week to have it on anyway because of, um, if you're not in Victoria, if you're listening, um, we've had some pretty damaging storms and floods and Gippsland is still flooded at the moment with yeah, know, towns underwater and unfortunately that probably would have hindered a bit of the the um, crowds going into the art show too. So you probably didn't get the true representation of people coming through. Yeah, definitely. Mm. I mean, covid lockdown kind of prevents people moving obviously and then yeah the floods we had up to in some places 300 mils of rain overnight Mm. um i've never seen so much rain and yeah a lot of roads damaged and blocked so yeah i imagine you know the usual crowd wouldn't be able to get there Mm. but it was good that the organizers were still able to go ahead with it and yeah um, persevered yeah it was really nice Mm. Well, on a slightly more happy note than natural disasters, we're going to talk about <laughs> natural beauties in the garden in winter, aren't we? Yeah, this will be good. Excuse me, my phone just no- went off. I didn't put on silent. It is on now. Um, <laughs> um, so we're going to be talking about winter flowers. Is that right? What kind of winter flowers have we got on today's schedule? Well, we've got... I've got three that I'm interested in talking about because I recently um, published some articles in the magazine I make and write for for Garden World and um, there's yeah three different types of flowers that I was quite inspired by for the season that are predominantly winter flowering um, plants. So the first one, which I think you're going to be familiar with the actual name, Elle, um, the plant I'm not too sure how familiar with you are of that, but it's called sabaki, which is a Japanese name. Do you know what it actually means? The meaning behind sabaki? Um, I'd have to look up the the kanji. The, yeah, the kanji. I know it's a Japanese camellia. Yes, that's it. But um, <laughs> but it's a sabaki flowers are pretty famous. Well, extremely famous in Japan. Would you agree with that? Being someone that's lived there for a number of years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking. At, I'm looking it up, and um, 
Mm. It's actually in Katakana. Mm. So I don't know if Tsubaki is um, like the group. Like the, group a the collective name. name for them. I think it is. Mm. Yeah. But um, it's not in actual kanji. No. But they, so the Tsubaki, or Tsubaki, um, it's a sort of a nickname and they, what I believe it translates to, L is the Rose of Winter. Okay. Um, and it's celebrated in, you know, many different flower festivals over there, um, which I don't know if you have been to any of the flower festivals, but um, no. pretty, pretty amazing when you read up about them and things like that. But, um, you know, around the rest of the world, we know it as Camellia or Camellia japonica. Um, and they're the later flowering out of the two because you've got two types of or two majority or dominant varieties that you'll see in like nurseries which is the Camellia yeah. Sasanqua which is an early flowering variety and then you've got Camellia japonica which is the later or the tail end um, flowering varieties and the japonica is a really easy way to decipher between the two varieties or the two types of cultivars is um, their leaves are usually a lot fatter. They're nice, big, glossy oh. green leaves, and they usually have the really big, boisterous, beautiful blooms, like the really big flowers. Um, but the thing with the Camellia japonica, even though it has japonic, um, which is known for Japan in Latin, it also originates from China and South Korea, so they're also native to those two countries as well. Um and then yeah, so they thrive in cooler climates as we sort of know, knowing the sort of the climates of Japan. Um, but yeah, and they come in all different yeah. types of flower like, colours and they, things. Like grow in like really really cold, like snowy areas or Yeah, you do find them growing naturally in Japan where there would be snowfall. Um I think going back when I was there or when we were there in winter for a school exchange. I recall seeing them in the gardens there when there was... Oh, no, we were there and... No, we didn't go on school exchange. It was holiday and it was winter. And I remember seeing them in the gardens there in the snow. Um, But, yeah, they they definitely can withstand very cold temperatures. But the more chill factor that they get, the better the flowers are as well. And I find the more pure the flower colour is. You mean, like, bigger or...? Um, more clean. So less bruising and imperfections and... Better okay. sized flowers too. I think like more consistent um, with that sort of cooler yeah. temperature because they really do thrive in those colder climates. And then they also thrive in a really um, mountainous soil. So Japan has very fertile soil. So um, for us in Australia, that's not quite achievable naturally. You'd have to put in a lot of organic matter and compost and manures and things like that to achieve something similar. But you can easily do it, like definitely in like the Dandenongs or in Gippsland. In the suburbs, you'd have to work on those soils because they're more sandy, traditionally. Okay, is that because of um, like the mountain soils are more rich because of yeah all the plants like breaking down over time? Yeah, it's sort of that similar philo- um, philosophy when we went back to talk about say the food forest gardens, which we did in yeah. I think like episode three of our podcast. Um, all that decaying leaf matter and all that as that breaks down that adds nutrients back into the soil conditioning it making it richer Australian soils um, are very barren in a lot of areas Um, 
so you don't have that same sort of enrichment that you'd find in these other countries where they're much more heavily dense and higher altitudes and things like that so that breaks things down a little bit quicker so um but no it's definitely much much more of a rich soil that they thrive in um yeah but can you get them in um i think i've seen them in standard versions so like they're oh yeah (laughs) yeah so you can get them in topiary so um that usually will take a long time for a grower to achieve hence why you might pay a lot of money traditionally for it oh okay because um, they're not fast-growing or typically fast-growing. Um, for you to get something that's been toperied or put into a standard, it's probably between the ages of five to eight years old before it gets to that oh, wow. point, if it's got a decent-sized trunk on it. So you're talking yeah. about maybe like half an inch thick or a bit more. It would be a very old plant. If it's any younger than that, it's quite a young specimen, but still it takes a lot of work to get something like that out of a plant that's naturally really bushy, like... Japonicas, they range anywhere from sort of like four to five metres in height and then they can spread between three to four metres wide. So if you're thinking about that sort of size being condensed down into a a ball essentially on a stick, it takes a lot of effort from the grower to achieve that. Yeah, is it just like a particular way of growing the plant to get it like that? Yeah, so you grow it with a single leader, which is like your main trunk. So you find when yeah. you'd probably do it from when the plant's a juvenile plant, when it's still very flexible and um, I guess you could say um, vulnerable. Bendy. Yeah, vulnerable to being shaped as to what you want. You find a central leader that's pretty straight, and you'd train that with um, like a stake to keep it pretty much central. And then once you get it to the height that you want your topiary to actually start at, that's when you allow it to start bushing out and you start pruning it in a certain way to encourage side growth and encourage thickness in the plant. So there's a few different ways to go about it, but that's just one way that I know that they do do it. Okay. Um, in other plants, sometimes the growers will grow that central leader, cut the top off, and then they'll graft the plant they actually want on that trunk onto it. Ah, um, uh, so you do it by grafting. Yeah, you can do it that way too. Um, but no, like the the Japonicas are my favourite out of the camellias, mainly because of the, the flowers are a lot more showy and a lot bigger and you get interesting varieties as well. Um, yeah. And the only negative to the Japonicas is they're not as sun-tolerant as what the Sasanquas are. The Sasanquas are definitely more sun-tolerant, so they can take a little bit more of the afternoon sun, whereas the Japonicas, they definitely need afternoon shade or they can take yeah. morning sun um, otherwise it takes okay. a number of years for them to settle in a sort of afternoon based area um yeah and would you plant plant them now if you were going yeah, to get some it's the peak season for them right now so if you're wanting them this is the time of year to be buying them or getting them because you won't really find the the range and probably the quantities around later on in the year Unless you go yeah, to like and then a collector's you just market. Them straight in the garden. Yeah, you put them straight in. You might get a little bit of bud drop or flower drop just due to the plant coming out of its pot and then into the ground, which is perfectly normal. But if you yeah. don't, like a lot of people think you should tease the roots of plants as soon as you plant them. You shouldn't be doing that. You only ever do that if the plant's pot bound. If it's 
come out of the pot easily and the roots look healthy, you shouldn't be playing with them. So you should put the plants straight in the yeah, ground. Yeah, leave them as is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so japonicas are something that's flowering now and they'll flower, you know, they can flower right up until spring, some varieties beyond spring. Um, and then you can feed them now as well. And in early spring, you can put like, um, apply like a, a pellet fertilizer, like a slow release fertilizer and that will do the yeah. job, keep them happy. Um, and then the other plant I was going to talk about, which I've actually got some notes in front of me, so I don't forget is primulas i don't know if primulas. you remember. what are they i was gonna say i don't know if you recall this but do you remember al a few years ago i had one of those little grape dip buckets the rusted little basket that had all the holes in it and i filled it with coconut fiber and i potted it up with those lollipop sort of plants you probably don't remember do you oh uh, maybe vague memory <laughs> so primulas are Traditionally found in a nursery in the seedling department, right, as an annual flower. They're, they're, so an annual is something that grows in a season and then dies at the end of its season. Okay. But there's so many different types of primulas and there's one type in particular that comes back. It's not actually an annual, it's actually a perennial. Um, ah. And a lot of people treat it as an annual because they don't realise it regrows. Um, and the annual form, if you allow it to finish flowering or drop seed and it'll actually come back. Um, but with the primulas, I thought I should probably just read a little bit of what I wrote. Um, so primulas are shy growers in the garden, but they are hugely collectible around the world for their unique flowers, shapes, and patterns. These alpine plants are a part of the primulaceae plant family and made up of hundreds of different cultivars, primarily herbaceous perennials. So herbaceous perennials is pretty much what I was explaining. It's a plant that comes out, it's green, flowers, and then it dies down underground and it sort of hibernates and then it comes back up when its season re-emerges yeah. the following year. Um, and it's sad because they're super popular overseas. Like they're highly collectible to the point where people make theatres for their primulas. Have you heard of a plant theatre before? You might have seen it in Europe. No? Did you say a theatre? Yeah, a theatre. Um, no. So you... as <laughs> It's really cool. So you only will ever see it in Europe. You won't see it here in Australia because no one cares enough about these plants and they're so cool. Maybe we can convince people. <laughs> like, they're unbelievable, some of the varieties you get in terms of the patterns and the colours and the the colour arrangements they're quite out of this world but these theatres and their nickname primula theatres is essentially what it says so if you think of like a puppet show theatre an old-fashioned puppet show theatre you might have two tiers yeah. to it right they put these collectible primulas of different types into little terracotta pots and they sit them in these theatres in their gardens but they're protected from rain and wind so they're going to be in pristine condition because they're protected from the elements but they're also on show so they're giving you a theater of their flowers and then when they're out of flower those collectors might put their next collector item in there whether it be like a type of bulb or another type of herbaceous perennial um but the idea is you display them as if you were to sit down at a theater and you would enjoy the show it's quite a cool okay. little concept so it's like a, a plant show without 
people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little right. theater for your plants. But um, I, I really like primulas. I'll have to put some photos up of them because they're quite yes, spectacular. Because they come in, like, they come in all sorts of colors. The ones that I've predominantly seen are, like, vibrant pinks, reds, oranges, yellows, bicolors, like, like a de- there's a denim one and it literally looks like what? the denim on your jeans in terms of the stitching, right? But in a flower. And then there's wow. some that you can get that are, have got little flowers and they're perfectly round with like a dark black with a yellow center or, you know, there's all these different patterns and it's a very visual plant. So if anyone's interested, I highly recommend you look them up. But they are an alpine plant but they do originate from ethiopia new guinea and indonesia um and you can go there in their wildflower um periods and you can see meadows and thousands of them um but these what's what's this mystery one that um that you can what you said comes back so there's two main types that you'll see or cultivars sold in australia Unless you go to collector's fairs and things like that, you'll find other unusual cultivars, which I can't name off the top of my head because I don't know as much about those varieties, but these ones I know a lot about. Um, And the one that comes back, which is a true herbaceous um, perennial, is the Primula acaulis. And this is a tiny little plant that may only grow 20 centimetres wide and maybe 15 centimetres tall, has very thick wide leathery sort of crinkled leaves that stay flat to the ground and then from their centers stems of anywhere from like five centimeters up to ten centimeters of circular um umbrals which is pretty much the if you think of a wheel to a car yeah and you put that on top of a stick you've created this circular pattern right from every point there's a flower bud that comes out so there's a flower that faces every single direction no matter which way you look at that plant um ah. so there's a flower at every direction You'll have to post some if you have some photos of these. yeah i've got photos of them um so they can sometimes form perfectly out to the sides sometimes they can form perfectly in a sphere as well um in terms of the acolis varieties and the acolis ones tend to be the more collectible ones um and some really um, rare ones. I'm going to say this wrong because I've forgotten how to pronounce it. Can you hear the train, by the way? <laughs> I've got a train no. going past. Um, okay. um, the I'm going to say it wrong. I feel like I'm going to say it wrong. Fronia? Fronia? How do I say it? F-A-R-I-N-A. Farinia? Thank you. Farinia? <laughs> I had a mental plan. I couldn't remember. <laughs> this is a natural characteristics of the plant. And what it is, it's a white to creamy powder that forms naturally on the foliage, the uh-huh. stems, or it can even form on the flowers. So these flowers might have like a dark black with yet like maybe a purple, right? And then you've got this sort of greeny yellow powder on them that sort of glistens in the night but it's just a natural characteristics of the plant so they're really rare they're very hard to find varieties with that and you see them over in the uk and they're quite um they're quite special okay but not so much in australia 
No, because like there's some places that sell them. You got to pay a fair bit for them. Um, yeah. One, they're hard to find in Australia anyway. People who do stock them because the import fees through like quarantine and all that type of thing with plant imports would be huge for them. So they would have to justify trying to bring this one rare plant in or say an X amount of them to sell them or hope to sell them. And the sad thing is people would probably look at it and not realize that it's a, like it's a natural appearance of the plant. They might think it's sick. Um, But when you do clearly see it, you can tell it's something, you know, not unhealthy for the plant. It's something special. It's, um, I highly recommend you look it up. It's quite interesting when you see it on them. It's quite pretty. Um, so what, would, what would be the word to look up? The farina? Yeah, so F-A-R-I-N-A on primulus yeah. um, is a really good example. It can happen with any plant um, species as long as it's, you know, naturally occurring in their, their family. Um, but, it's, but it's quite interesting to see a plant with it on it. Um, it's quite unusual. Um, but the other one is the um, Primula melacoides, which is also nicknamed the fairy Primula. And this Primula looks very different to the Acaulis variety because instead of that leathery sort of thick lower foliage growth, the Maculoides has like fern, fluffy-like foliage. And it can be quite okay, tall. Okay, so softer. Very soft, sways in the wind. It's... Um, very very thin got a bit of a hair like texture to it so it's sort of like a soft texture when you rub it um like lamb's ears yeah not quite as soft as that but similar it's like got a hair (laughs) texture to it um and they grow between 30 to 40 centimeters tall and wide in terms of the foliage and then they get tall stems of soft pink and um white and crimson and lavender flowers so they're more in the pastel range and these are the annual forms, but if you do let them finish flowering, they'll definitely come back the following year. They can be a bit weedy, but they are very pretty. Um, so you can okay, have so they'll come back the next, the next winter or whatever. Yeah, so they need their seed to have a dormant period for them to germinate. If they, if you yeah. get the seed and it hasn't had a dormancy, it won't germinate that well. So usually the best thing is to let them go in the garden. They'll probably die off around October allow that seed to sit dormant over the summer, autumn next year they'll come back up and flower for winter next year. Okay, and they'll will they, like, multiply? Yeah, they'll multiply. The more seed you allow, yeah. the more you'll get. The acaulis, um, they don't tend to multiply as well, but they can over time. Okay. Hmm. But, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing some photos. Yeah, I've got some really some cool photos. I should post post all of them i'm just looking at the photos i put in the magazine because the magazine is of my photos as well and i think oh that's a pretty that's a pretty shot <laughs> you have to show us bonnie yeah i know so i'll, I'll pop it up on my social media um as soon as this goes up and that way people can see but yeah they're probably the yeah. two main ones i did have a third one but we sort of hit our time limit so maybe next week this mystery plant can be talked about. <laughs> leave you in suspense. <laughs> yes, leave you in suspense. A hint was it was grevilleas. But um, we can talk about them next time. And, um, yeah, sort of... well, it's good to hear about the different flowers because, hmm. you know, whenever I think of winter, I'm just like, mm, flowers are over now. I have to wait till spring. Yeah, there's but all... it's good to know what, uh, you know, you can grow and 
what will be out in the in the garden. There's so much because the prime winter flowering plants are actually natives. So maybe we could do a big native talk next week because um, yeah. a majority of Australian natives flower right now, and there's hundreds to choose from in terms of flower color. Yeah, no, that would be good talking mm. about the natives and. Yeah. What, what everyone can kind of keep an eye out for in the yeah. neighbourhood or when yeah. they're out and about. Well, you've heard it here that we're talking about natives next week. It's been decided. So stay Uh-oh. tuned for that. But in the meantime, I hope you learnt a little bit about Sabaki, Rose of the Winter, a.k.a. Camellia Japonica, and the Primulas. Yes. Thank you, me <laughs> for your uh, information. No worries. Thank you. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time. And hopefully we're in the same room. Fingers crossed. Hope so. (laughs) Alrighty. Until next time, we'll catch you then. See ya. See ya.